All right. Oh, whoa, whoa. Good evening, folks. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. I'm your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. Let's go through the process. Today's date is December 21st, 2011 A.D. Beautiful old town, Alexandria, with cobblestone streets and pavements. Folks with means, those folks who are still at this hour, passed by only only half hour ago, having dinner, steak, lobster. I noticed a beautiful sea bass dish, and they still have their their damn dogs just kind of sitting at their feet. Well, well-mannered dogs around steak and lobster and fine sea bass, not just kind of chilling on the ground. It's cold outside, and there still people still sitting outside eating. They've got those damn heater things, look like big umbrellas. It's interesting when you've got some bread. You can afford to have a fine dog that won't jump up on the table and take a piss or chow down on your fine filet mignon. Hmm. What kind of fish is that? Yeah. (laughs) I stole that one from daddy's little girl. I sure did. It's shameless, I know. Hey, beautiful old town Alexandria, looking out at my fine, giant, picturesque window out at a barren park. There are a few people out walking their dogs right now, but I can see through the through the tree branches the beautiful Watergate Hotel across the Potomac into Washington, D.C. I can see the monument from my window. I've got a beautiful view here. It's a fine night here in Alexandria. Fine indeed. I'll be heading out in a couple of days to the farm in North Carolina, hang out with the cows, beautiful cabin, fine fireplace, good food, all of that. It's going to be great. But in the meantime, we want to talk about something that not too many people have been talking about lately. Not even many of my blog talk peers, and that is the state of the economy and the state of this country as a whole and where we're headed, not where we may be headed, not, uh, you know, a scenario that may or may not play out. No, no, where we're headed as a nation. But first, I want to throw out a little humor here. My man Hugo Chavez got on Obama. How long before that was actually going to happen? <laughs> how many bets were taken on how how long it would take for him to finally do Obama in and stab him in the back? I've got the clip right here, and now I know some other folks have played it, but I'm just getting around to it, and I cannot help myself. I have to play it for you in case you haven't heard it. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> dig it, dig it. Uh, I'll be right back. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. The call in number is 347 884 8500. In a question sent by Caracas-based newspaper El Universal, U.S. President Barack Obama said the administration of Hugo Chavez has restricted the rights of the Venezuelan people, threatening democratic values and failing to contribute to security in the region. Obama? Obama came on attacking me, but that does not surprise us because that is the voice of imperialism. Obama, mind your own business and devote yourself to rule your country, which you have turned into a disaster. Chavez warned that President Obama... (laughs) Rule your country, which you have turned into a disaster. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, let's continue. Obama is attacking Venezuela with the intention of seeking votes for his re-election and called him irresponsible and fake. 
The Venezuelan president also highlighted that Venezuela is free and will never again be a U.S. colony. I am sorry for you, Obama. Ask the black communities and the poor of your country what you mean to them. The biggest frustration. Ask many people in Africa who may have believed in you because of your skin color, because your father was African. You are an African descent, but you are the shame of all those people. Leave us alone. Diosdado Cabello from the ruling United Socialist Party, PESUV, said the U.S. could not speak of restricting freedom when it appears as the biggest terrorist in the world by causing one million deaths in Iraq and not paying enough attention to their own internal crisis. We support the position of President Chavez of telling Obama to commit himself to his own government and the over 40 million poor Americans. We believe that, as a human rights advocate, he must respond to these people instead. The PSUV also raised concerns for the initiative of opposition leader Leopoldo Lopez to seek advice in safety from former president of Colombia, Álvaro Uribe. For the PSUV, this appears suspicious considering that the opposition did something similar before the presidential coup of 2002 when they consulted former New York police chief William Bratton. Obama also criticized the Venezuelan government's relations with Iran and said they have not benefited the interests of Venezuela and its people. However, Chavez has said the U.S. will fail to impose its policy on his country, stressing that Venezuela's ties with Iran serve the interests of both nations. Ricardo Rojas, Press TV, Caracas. All right, we're back with the C. Robert Jones situation report. Okay, check that out. That is something. He finally got what he wanted to say out there, and I thought it was brilliant, brilliant. But before we really get into that, I want to get into the financial Armageddon of this great country. What we are going to experience within the next year, some has la- some have labeled as financial Armageddon. And I want to go ahead and play the clip right here and now, and I'd like for you to listen to it and tell me what you think about it. Please call in if you believe that what you're about to hear is actually going to come to pass. The call-in number is 347-884-8500. Financial Armageddon coming 2012. You just have to understand how staggering the numbers are. We're talking about a deficit in the trillion-dollar range for as far as the eye can see. John Williams um, from ShadowStats.com who says things are, are only going to get worse. He's been incredibly pessimistic. You know, I hate being the one who has to tell you this, but it's the truth. We as a nation are headed for an economic disaster. This is a story that you should not only watch, but you should also make sure the candidates who want your vote watch as well before they bury all of us. Now, Not my words. These are words being spoken by someone who's a very high authority on something like this. The reporter in this is CNN's Jeff Greenfield, who introduces us now to one man who's going all over the country trying to keep our nation from going broke. And and you've also been very pragmatic that in Washington, a lot of people are telling me that in Washington, um, they're they're not really embracing the true magnitude of what some people say is happening in the economy. No, a year ago, and you guys have talked about this on the show, a year ago... Uh, ben Bernanke, the head of the uh, Fed, uh, Hank Paulson, head of the Treasury, even the president said the subprime crisis was going to be contained. Well, first, I think the listeners have to understand how staggering the numbers are. We're talking about a deficit in the trillion-dollar range for as far as the eye can see. We're talking about deficits which are 4 to 5 percent of GDP, which is not sustainable under any form of government. Here's what John... Williams at shadowstats.com says about what's coming down the road. Where are we going? Uh, we have a, a severe recession ahead of us with even higher inflation than we're seeing now. It's going to be the probably the worst business cycle uh, seen since the Great Depression. That's the goal of this man, David Walker, the Comptroller General of the United States. That's the government's accountant-in-chief. Daunting fiscal reality. In the last few years, he's been going around the country telling anyone who will listen that we're headed for an economic train wreck of catastrophic proportions. It's a message millions of Americans heard a week or so ago on 60 Minutes. Serious adverse consequences. A message Walker is happy, maybe happy is not quite the right word, to deliver to us as well. 
that we're spending way more than we're taking in. Really tough choices are going to have to be made to reform Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, to reform our tax system, and to re-engineer spending. Greece's debt crisis is spiraling out of control, and it looks like the situation might just have a domino effect in Europe. So who's next, and what does this mean for the rest of the world? Well, joining me to help discuss this is an investigative journalist, Webster Tarpley. Webster, thanks so much for joining me. So Thank first you. of all, it seems like a lot of uh, European markets are panicking right now, and this has already affected countries like Spain, Portugal, and Ireland. Uh, are we likely going to see a ripple effect here? Well, there is a ripple effect. Uh, you're in essentially the second wave of the world economic depression that began with the U.S. banking crisis of September, October of, uh, of 2008. I would stress this is much less a matter of economic fundamentals than it is the commitment of a group of hedge funds and banks, a kind of a wolf pack, to attack sovereign debt. The problem is you. If you're one of the 78 million baby boomers born between 1946 and 1964, the oldest of you will start hitting the Social Security rolls next year. By 2011, you'll start being eligible for Medicare, and that's when the real trouble begins. There just isn't enough money, Walker says, to cover what the government has promised to do. Oh, Congressman, you've, you've appeared several times on this program, and I've always asked you the same question. You, you see real, real economic distress. But you said it's coming two or three years down the road. <laughs> have, you, have you speeded up your time frame a bit, bearing in mind what's been happening over the past week? Well, I worry about that. that uh, I think we have months to prepare and be ready. We should remember, on February 8th, there was this infamous planning session of a group of hedge funds at the offices of Moness, Crispy, and Hart in New York City, where they said, first, we're going to attack Greece. That will allow us to attack the euro. Then we have the so-called pigs group, Portugal, Ireland, Italy, Greece, Spain. But then they said every other kind of government debt, sovereign debt, be it nations, states, provinces, cities, or regional authorities, all of them would come under speculative attack. And that was a, the point made in particular by a guy called Donald Morgan of uh, Brigade Capital. These, these are largely the people who helped bring down Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, their kind of the, uh, the wolves that gather when there's a, a wounded uh, bank. Now, back in the 1980s, Republican President Reagan and the Democratic House hammered out a fix on Social Security at a time when that system was perilously close to disaster. We were within weeks of the checks not going out on time. And now? Our long-range problem is much worse, and it's very close to becoming a reality because boomers start retiring next year. And that means some very tough choices like trimming benefits, or having seniors pay more of their health costs, or raising taxes. We're talking about a public debt. This is the debt that people own of the federal government that will be around 80% of GDP. Historically, it's been around 40% of GDP in the out years. The practical implications of this is bankruptcy for the United States, bankruptcy for the United States, bankruptcy for the United States. To hold cash today is as risky as holding equities, commodities, or real estate, according to our next guest. With some ideas of what you could be doing with your money, we check in right now with Mark Faber. In any event, your cash purchasing power diminished over time, like the U.S. dollar is weak. That's a symptom of inflation. It's not a... To have deflation really in a system, you would have to have a strong currency. As long as the currency is weak, it's a symptom of inflation. You know, what's driving commodities is inflation. It's governments around the world, particularly the Federal Reserve, creating too much money, debasing the value of the dollar. You know, as we speak, the dollar is at an all-time record low against the Swiss franc today. It's at an all-time record low against the Australian dollar. You need $30 to buy an ounce of silver. You need about $1,400 to buy an ounce of gold. You almost need $14 to buy a bushel of soybeans. You've never seen these prices. Oil, you need, you know, you need $92 almost to buy a barrel of oil. But you're seeing these high commodity prices during a time where the economy is very weak. You know, so that means as the economy strengthens, commodity prices go higher, right? Well, More the demand. Economy, well, the economy is not going to strengthen, especially with rising inflation and ultimately rising interest rates. There are a lot of people that are jumping to the false conclusion that rising interest rates or rising commodity prices somehow indicate that the economy is going to strengthen. They don't indicate that at all. They indicate okay. more inflation. There's no other way around it. If we, if we maintain the proposals which are in this budget over the 10-year period that, our, that this budget covers, this country will go bankrupt. People will not buy our debt. Our dollar will become devalued. 
it is a very severe situation. You know, what he's saying is that savings is way down in this country, but wealth has risen dramatically. Monetary policy is spectacular. I, I think Peter's just totally off base, and I don't think it's going to be, I mean, I, I just don't know where he's getting his stuff. All that's increased is the paper values of our stocks and real estate. But that's not real wealth. The NASDAQ, with all that phony wealth is going to evaporate. But you're just way off base. There is nothing out there that tells us we're going to have a nice slowdown, but it's not going to be a All right, crash. let me ask you this. Construction, whether it's mortgage brokers, real estate sure. brokers, et cetera. And if that all goes away, what happens there to will those be jobs? Lots of, there will be lots of things to fill it back up again, Michelle. It, it's really not a housing economy. This is an economy that's driven by good economic policies, by good monetary policy, by good trade policy, and it's working beautifully. Oh, Peter, I'm going to take a that. bet with you on this one. I'll, I'll bet you a penny on this one. That a lot of folks out there point Anytime I want, I want to collect that penny. Thank <laughs> you. Well, I'll collect it with a nice note from you, Peter. What can I tell you, Peter? It's a bet of a penny in your honor on the stake and mine, too. So you're typically uh, an optimist. Uh, so yes, I am. So why the doom and gloom now? Well, President Obama, had, you know, when he took office, did not repeal Bush's tax cuts but let them expire, which means that on January 1st, 2011, Paul, you're going to get very major tax rate increases in personal income, capital gains, dividends, estate taxes, offshore investing, uh, alternative minimum tax, I could, Cadillac plans, I could go on and on. And if people know tax rates are going up next year, what they will do is they will shift income into this year, obviously, to take advantage of lower tax rates now. And if they do that, that will make this year look a lot better than it otherwise should right. and make next year look a lot worse. And, and you know, we did all right. So, it was a pretty long clip, but truly it speaks to the growing catastrophe we have in this country. Now, the unemployment rate has dropped down pretty good. It's right around 8.6, 8.7. It came down from 10%. But a lot of the numbers are skewed because those numbers are skewed because it doesn't count those people who are looking for jobs anymore. For example, if you are no longer out looking for a job, if you are no longer on the report, the Bureau of Labor Statistics as coming into the office, signing up for unemployment looking for a job, if you've just given up, then you're no longer counted. So the number comes down, but the number of people unemployed doesn't change or it grows. That's the issue. But there's a there's a there's a symbolism here in that the number has gone down. So Obama can claim that he has saved or created a number of jobs. Millions of jobs. We'll get into that fuzzy math on another blog talk show. On September 18th, 1787, just after signing the U.S. Constitution... Benjamin Franklin met with members of the press, and he was asked what kind of government would America have. Franklin responded, a republic, if you can keep it. In his speech to the Constitutional Convention, Franklin admonished this U.S. Constitution. He said, this U.S. Constitution is likely to be administered for a course of years and then end in despotism. When the people shall become so corrupted as to need despotic government, being incapable of any other. Update to 12-21-2011. Many of us thought that Obama's takeover of government motors was a was as socialization of a country was was a was uh, yeah 
However, it, it may be something different. In the Concise Encyclopedia of Economics, Sheldon Richmond wrote, where socialism sought totalitarian control of a society's economic processes through direct state operation of the means of production, fascism sought that control indirectly through domination of nominally private owners. Where socialism nationalized property explicitly, fascism did so implicitly. By requiring owners to use their property in the national interest, that is, as the autocrat authority conceived it, nevertheless, a few industries were operated by the state. Where socialism abolished all market relations outright, fascism left the appearance of market relations while planning all economic activities where socialism abolished money and prices fascism controlled the monetary system and set all prices and wages wages politically in doing all this fascism denurtured the marketplace and there you have it so what do we have here? Because a lot of folks, including myself, have labeled Obama a socialist. And we've said that the guy, really, what he really wants to do is turn this country into a socialist utopia. But so far, he hasn't really enacted very many socialist policies as fascist policies. So, I wonder... I wonder, do, I mean, has anybody talked about that? Also, America causing a new civil war, some have said. I've been told by groups of friends of mine who work for the federal government who shall be nameless that there is a massive plan underway to divide and conquer the people. To cause a civil war. Now a lot of you a lot of you know that I am a member of the Oath Keepers. And that there are very many there's there are quite a few of us, many hundreds, thousands of us who were former Marines, military personnel, Navy, Air Force, Army, Coast Guard. Not only military personnel, officers and enlisted men, but first responders, police officers, federal officers everywhere. The Oath Keepers has grown to be a very large group of men and women who have taken an oath that we will not obey any law that goes against the Constitution of the United States. And so when my dear friends who are in key positions with the government say that there's a plan, I believe it. First, I believe that we're headed for a civil war. And Obama will make it happen. When the money has been spent, that's when we'll see all that a lot of us have talked about put into play. Folks, Obama is the anti-Lincoln. Oh yeah, both for from Illinois... And both were first-time senators with very little experience. Obama even tried to take the oath of office on Lincoln's Bible as if to prove the point of the link. But that's where it ends. Lincoln set people free. Lincoln set the slaves free. But Obama wants to enslave us all. Lincoln kept the union together. But Obama divided it up. The war is going to look something like this. From what I've been told by inside sources just this week. First, they will spend the money 
until they default the currency. Next, after the riots for food and gas, Obama will declare martial law and suspend Congress. States will decide not to send any money to the federal government. People will stop paying taxes to the federal government. Obama will suspend certain state legislatures. And the people will openly defy the federal government. Obama will then send in the military from foreign sources. Groups of states will combine to fight them, along with the populace. The war will last uh, five, maybe ten years. After the war, the states will strip the federal government of most of its power, and a number of state blocs will rotate the presidency thereafter. The war won't be pretty. The liberals and Obamaites will live in the cities, and they'll be favored so that uh, the protection zones will be erected around those cities. The rest of the nation will be against the major cities. That's the word I got. Some will say this is crazy. It's crazy talk. It's conspiracy theory nut job talk. Who told you that crap? Who said all those crazy things? Come on, man. Are you kidding me? That can never happen here. Oh, yeah. Something like that can happen in... Venezuela, uh, some other tiny little country. Certainly could happen in places like Haiti, places like that, but not here in the United States. But is it so far-fetched? Obama's already pretty much gone to war with Arizona, Alabama, places like that. Obama is seeking a new weapons assault ban. U.S. is giving foreign aid to over 150 countries. Police have stopped men, women, for having anti-Obama signs. Walmart is suffering a food shortage. Well, all of these things separately mean very little. Put them all together. And what do we have? You know, one of the greatest gifts given to the world is the idea that the leader of a nation should be chosen freely by its people. Well, perhaps the notion did not originate here in the, here in the United States, here in America. But we Americans certainly showed the world how to do it. What I see coming up within the next year is out-and-out bribery and thievery of this election cycle, where Obama will lie, cheat, steal, and do whatever it takes to win re-election once again. He He will use every trick in the book to rig this election and thus serve another four-year term. After that, I suggest that he will find some way to get around the two-year limit, I mean the two-term limit. I don't see this man giving up the presidency at the end of another four-year term, especially if he doesn't get everything he needs done within the next four years, if we have, for example, a Republican-led Congress and a Republican-led Senate. But more spectacularly and more originally, the United States, aside from what I just said, pioneered the following novel concept, and that is when the favor of the people transfers from one faction, as Madison called them, or party, to another, then the defeated incumbent gracefully steps aside 
as his victorious opponent peacefully and lawfully takes his place as the new leader. Indeed, the peaceful transfer of power from the Federalist Adams to the Democrat-Republicans Jefferson in 1801 must be regarded as one of the most momentous advances in the history of human freedom. Thus, having taught the world how to peacefully install a legitimate leader, as well as how to gracefully escort him to the exit, is purely American. It was incumbent upon the American people to decide how long they wished the time span between entrance and exit to last. George Washington solved the problem. He refused to serve more than two terms, thus setting a powerful president that lasted nearly a century and a half. This feature of American government became ingrained in our political DNA. The president served no more than two terms. And when finally this virtual commandment was violated by FDR, the nation ensured that there would be no repeat offense by amending the Constitution of the United States of America. It's my thesis, however, that Washington set not only an upper bound, but a lower bound as well. Namely, Washington established a president that, unless there are compelling reasons not to do so, a sitting president would be reelected to a concluding second term. In fact, with the exception of two relatively brief periods of 20 to 25 years each, it's been the habit of, Ameri of the American people to re-elect their presidents. Unless one or two readily identifiable conditions, which we'll explain later. So, is it a foregone conclusion that President Obama will be re-elected for a second term? Are the numbers on his side? Is history on his side? Yes, indeed it is. We have a call on the line. Caller, you're on with the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Hey, Doc. Uh, it's Dave Graham. I'm just listening. I just tuned in. Cause... Dave Graham? Who the hell? Who is that? I don't know. I never you heard know. of the guy. Hey, Dave. It's Dave Graham of Stay Mad, Stay Mad Radio, 2020 Radio Network, and the author of Stay Mad. That's right. Yeah. Are you there? Are you performing another surgery or something? Well, no, I, I'm I'm just working. Ah, okay. All right, all right. How are you this evening? I am finer and frog hair split four ways with a broad axe. Wow. <laughs> You've been watching the Beverly Hillbillies on the, 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 the well, Wii channel? <laughs> on the Wii channel. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, uh, <laughs> I, I don't mean to take, I don't mean to you know interrupt you from your topic because you you were rolling along. History's on the side of Obama to get reelected. Yeah, we we want to throw that history out. Well, you know we did have Jimmy Carter as a one-term president because he sucked all to be damned, and then we did have uh, George uh, Herbert Walker. No, George 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 Bush. Mm -hmm. And then we did have uh Bill Clinton. Well, the the model here really is Clinton. Because right around this time, Bill Clinton had really abysmal, really horrible poll numbers. And it was believed that he could be defeated rather easily. But he won handily. In fact, he won almost by a landslide. But then again, those numbers can be skewed as well because he ran against a very weak opponent in Bob Dole. Right. So, you know, I I believe that, um, you know, John McCain wasn't the strongest candidate to defeat you Obama. Think? Uh, you think? Yeah, so, I mean, and right now, I think the Republicans are making a mistake with um, Newt Gingrich. I think Mitt Romney is a better choice. 
he stands the best chance of defeating Obama at this time. And, you know, Newt is really smart and all that, but sometimes, you know, intellect isn't always the best barometer for a president. You know, I mean, superior intellect is one thing, but being able to get get the job done, being a leader, uh, you know, those kind of things, I think those things are so much more important. What are your thoughts? Well, well, what about Rick Perry? He's still in it. Well, I believe that Rick Perry, at the, you know, when Rick Perry came in uh, and 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 he jumped into the race, I was the most excited person. I was more excited than Rick Perry was probably. I remember. And and uh, I thought, boom, game over, game over. But Rick is not prepared. You know, I believe he's a smart guy, and I believe he can get the job done. But I don't believe that he prepares himself fully for these debates. Yeah, he's good looking. He's smart. He's a he's a great governor. He does a great job. But you know, there, it takes a little bit more than that. I believe, for example, that Nixon was much more substantive as a candidate than John F. Kennedy. I believe, in fact, that Nixon was much smart was a much smarter man, certainly more politically savvy. Certainly, he had all the tools necessary to be president of the United States. Mm-hmm. But Kennedy, the famous Kennedy uh, uh, Nixon debate, where uh, Kennedy came in, didn't miss a beat, came in and handsome, charismatic. Sometimes, and I know this from experience, being a good-looking guy trumps <laughs> being a smart one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they, they were saying uh, they were saying that Nixon was all sweaty and and uh, he looked like an old guy, and he, he just didn't perform well in that debate. He didn't perform well in the debate because dude was sick out of his mind. He was not feeling well at all, and he made the mistake of refusing. Makeup for that horrible parlor he had. I mean, come on. First, you first you come into the debate not feeling well. Then you refused makeup, so he had this five o'clock shadow, and he didn't do very well. And it was it was, but but oddly enough, a lot of people don't really remember understand that, or 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 or, or it's it's kind of buried that the debate was a wash. Um, with the, with the American people, it was pretty much uh, even, even though, um, you know, Kennedy came in and he was all bronzed up and, you know, looking real good. But that had everything to do with the cortisone he was being shot up with just before the debate. You know, his face had filled out, you know, because of the cortisone and, you know, uh, the steroids he was taking which what what cortisone uh, is and he filled out and fleshed out a little bit but he he still looked pretty good but uh you know it was more style over substance there and i think you know well, how much, that's go ahead how much how much cover did the did the media give him as far as you know regardless of his performance i, I mean i'm flash forwarding to a, a debate between barack obama and whomever and you know, no matter how smart somebody is in a debate, Obama's going to be—he's going to look good, and and it'll be a wash because the media will cover up all the mistakes that he made. They'll they'll rave about how good he looks, you know, and all that. So the media is going to help him in that res- in that respect. Did they help Kennedy? Because I, I I don't know. Yeah, but you know, here's the here's the thing. I think the American at 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 some point Obama was a, not a known quantity. Y- you know, back when you and I were young men, we would uh, meet a nice lady, we date, and she thought that we were the greatest thing since sliced bread. Do you remember those times? Well, yeah, we had them fooled for a little while. We had them fooled, man. Both of us did. <laughs> oh my God, and uh, and we knew it. And uh, as time went on, you know, we be, we were we were we were found wanting, were we not? 
Yeah, no, I've definitely found out now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, no doubt. And I believe the same thing <laughs> has occurred with Barack Obama. And no amount of dressing up is going to fix that. The American people have figured this out. Otherwise, wouldn't you agree, based on that logic, that Obama's poll numbers will still be in the high 60s? I mean, he was at 79, 76% uh, just, before the ele- just before he was inaugurated. And he has fallen to, what, uh, arguably somewhere in the you know, 50, 51%. So if, if, if the media was so helpful or could be so helpful – and persuading the American people, his numbers, and to my mind, would still be fairly high. And right now, they're you know they, they, they go down to forty five, they come up to fifty. He gets a five point jump here and there, but it doesn't last very long. Right. Yeah, I mean that's what I I mean that's what I think. So I don't believe that um, you know the American people are going to be fooled for very long. And and let's just say worst case scenario, he's elected for another four year term. There, the prediction is that uh, that the Senate is going to be taken by the Republicans. The Republicans will still be able to hold on to the House. We've got a pretty comfortable margin there. So what can he actually do? I mean, worst case scenario. Say again. I'm sorry. What would he? What what could he do? Worst case scenario, he's reelected, and let's say that the Republicans gotta, gain Republican the House Senate. and the Senate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he's not going. He's not going to do anything except blame everybody for not letting him do anything. Anything. Well, let's say he decides to go the way of signing statements and executive orders. They can be overridden. Yeah. They can be, but you'd have to have a pretty good majority in the Senate at that point, not just a two two to three man margin. So Well the thing is, I mean if if they get if he does that and they at least get challenged and and, and not overridden, at least the people who challenged it will get to keep their seats. Yeah. As far as Republicans go. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I just wonder, you know, I'm trying to deal with the worst case scenario. And and the reason why I'm doing that is because of this, these flip flops going back and forth within the Republican Party, within the with with the with the GOP front uh, 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 field, you know, first Newt's up, then Perry's up, then Perry's down. And then, uh, and, and and you know, Herman Cain was the front runner for a while. I mean, it's really starting to get down to the point where we need to pick. You know, we need to pick uh, a front runner. We need to pick a guy. And quite frankly, the only guy who seems to be above the fray at this point, who hasn't made very many mistakes, if any, is the governor from Massachusetts, Mitt Romney. <laughs> right. Here's the thing with me, um, with regards to him. I mean, obviously, he gets the nomination. I am Romney all day, every day, right? But for right now, where is the fire directed in Newt's belly against Obama? Where is the fire di- in in, uh, in Romney's belly? It's not against Obama. I don't have confidence that he can get fire in the belly against Obama, especially what is it today? He's calling him a nice guy, or he's, he won't call him call him a socialist. He'll call him Newt Zaney, but he won't call him a socialist. Yeah, Obama a socialist. You know, I that that's my only that's my only thing. I mean, is he gonna is he gonna really uh, you know kick it in? You know, like. Uh, like Fred Flintstone in those cars that they used to drive with their feet down there. Okay, now I'm the guy. I'm going to really go get Obama. I just don't see that. I can't see Romney sitting in one of those cars with his bare feet, actually. Yeah, well, all right. Maybe that was a bad picture, but... <laughs> okay. All right. Um, now you got me thinking about Fred Flintstone's feet and how he picks that car up when he wants to turn it around and then starts pedaling with his feet. But never, the, never mind that. Uh, yeah, uh, but, but, you, you, you know what? Though, 
I, you made a great point, and the point is, um, I, I think you, you, you're absolutely right. Now that I consider it, uh, Romney doesn't seem to be um, motivated enough. He doesn't seem to against, be motivated Obama. to take on, no, no, no. Take on Obama. No, he's, he's yeah. motivated to get the nomination, but he's not motivated to to date um, to, to get the presidency against you know to run against Obama. To me, I I think you're right. Obama will go there. He'll go there, and he'll go there time and time again. Oh, yeah. He's going to go there with claws out. Oh, yeah. And and when he there. won't go there, Axelrod will go there. And and, and a whole bunch of other folks are going to go. And putting Romney... Newt, I mean, not Newt, but putting Romney on his heels, putting him on the defensive. Right. And there's just, there's no more Mr. Nice Guy. Yeah, well, and 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 you know my my issue is 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 the same as yours. I I think we agree. Obama is a socialist, and at least. at, at the <laughs> very least, and he needs to be called out as such. Now, long gone are the days of the fifties when we had McCarthyism and we had the 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 communist witch hunts and people were treated unfairly and um you know and I think that as a result of McCarthy's uh, uh foolhardiness uh we're reluctant to place these labels on anybody you know the thing it, is, he he was right how what percent uh, well, yeah, a good percentage of it he was right, yeah almost uh, like ninety percent yeah. Yeah, he was. He was and 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 that's a great point. My my and I think that um you know, the situation exists where you know, we don't we're reluctant to put these labels out there. We're reluctant to say the guy's a socialist or he's this or that when he really is. And and I'm you know, not. at some point, yeah, I'm not either. At some point it's going to get to the point where you know, it's going to be like those, the dirty word, like the N-word. You call somebody a socialist and, you know, it's, it's, a it's like, a, like a civil rights violation or a hate crime. So, you know, right <laughs> now, now I, I, you know, right, right now, right. go ahead. The guy is a socialist. And if that will help get people to the polls, because I do believe that America is not into socialism. I believe that America is made up of a group of the vast majority of Americans are individualist. The vast American, uh, most of Americans are not into wealth envy. That we're not into, you know, you've got more than me and you should be giving me some of your stuff. You know, and it's not fair. Americans aren't about that. We're about fairness, but not in terms of you've got more and I want some of it. If we want some of your stuff, we know how to take it. But we don't need the government taking your stuff and giving it to us. You know, <laughs> I mean, that, just to put well, it, it bluntly, it's, uh, it's everybody gets a fair chance. That's that's what America is about. Everybody has the same yeah. opportunity. You know, I mean, just because somebody has a whole bunch of stuff doesn't mean they, you know, they exploited somebody to get it. They earned their own money. Like, you know, what, well, nine times out of ten, it's Money is made honestly, and and it's treated like bec- because you're rich, you you stole money from well me for instance. That's why I'm out on Wall Street protesting and I'm occupying and uh, you know and all this and that because right. I'm a moron too. But, well, um, I think I think of Dave Thomas of Wendy's a lot when he, without even a high school education, uh, founded Wendy's and grew it into uh, one of the biggest. Uh, fast food chains in the history of any, of anywhere without and 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 just a couple of years before he died he got his GED I'm talking about a guy who worked for Colonel Sanders worked for Kentucky Fried Chicken would place a cot in the kitchen and not even go home would stay overnight sleeping on a cot in the kitchen to make sure that business was run run properly when he worked for Sanders and then branched out on his own and continued with that same work ethic. Now Obama would say if Dave Thomas were started out starting out that Dave Thomas was not treated fairly, that he needs a helping hand. He needs somebody to help him. That he should not and be correct. left to fend for himself. 
and that the yeah, colonel, colonel was exploiting yeah, him. Yeah. So the colonel should pay for his startup. Yeah, the colonel should pay for his startup and the fact that that Dave had to sleep on a cot or you know, away from his family for all those times that you know the colonel was exploiting him and exploiting his labor and that yeah, you 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 see where I'm going. Well, he would get he would get charged for for labor violations. Yeah. Because yeah, the yeah. guy volunteered to sleep in a, on a cot. Yeah. Um doc, exactly. listen, um I I'm going to have to I'm going to have to call it right there. Um uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh great great show from uh, from what I heard. Um yeah, thank you. and uh I will uh I will talk to you soon. All right. All right. Thank you for uh calling in. I appreciate it, Dave. This is Dave Thomas of Stay Mad, Stay Mad Radio and the author of the not of the book Stay Mad. Thanks for calling in, uh Dave. We'll talk to you later, man. All right. Take care. All right. Everybody. All right. Thank you all for being here tonight. The show is just about over. We've got just about, well, less than five minutes left. I'd just like to say this. America, America, I think that uh, President Obama has misjudged the American people. We are a nation hardwired for freedom. We are individuals for the most part. We want to be left alone. We don't need government to take care of us. We want to be left to fend for ourselves. Yes, we do. When President Obama gave his speech in Ottawatomie, Kansas, and suggested that the Republicans wanted to leave Americans to fend for themselves, well, yeah, leave us alone to fend for ourselves. Do not interfere. Do not tell me what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. Do not help me unless I ask for your help. And chances are, I'm not going to ask. Leave me alone. I am an American. You've been listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. I want to thank everybody for joining me tonight. I hope you guys have a great fantastic evening and hey we've got one more show for the rest of the week on friday we are going to do a special show yeah it's going to be great (laughs) a special show but then we're going to be done for the rest of the week and uh hey you know if i if you got to go out of town a lot of you guys are heading out have a wonderful christmas and a happy new year but we got some stuff coming up you know, over the course of the rest of the holiday, the rest of Christmas, and on leading up until New Year's that you're really going to like. So please join us here Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 9 p.m., and then go ahead to 2020 Radio Network uh, with my man G-Ski Rocks, and then Tesla's on, and you know, you know the whole group. So come on back. You've been listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Good night, folks. Help me keep the devil down in the hole. All right. We're out. When you walk through the garden, you gotta watch your back. Well, I beg your pardon. Walk the straight and narrow track. If you walk with Jesus, he's gonna save your soul. You got to keep the devil way down in the hole. He's got the fire and the fury at his command. Well, you don't have to worry if you hold on to Jesus' hand. We'll all be safe from Satan when the thunder rolls. Gotta keep the devil way down in the hole.
mighty sword And they'll shield you with their wings And keep you close to the Lord Don't pay heed to temptation For his hands are so cold You gotta help me keep the devil Way down in the hole Keep the devil 